Sadly, sadly, we come to 1 Kings chapter 11. You see, the story keeps moving. We can't rest on the laurels of the past. You know, it's every day. It's every day. 1 Kings 11, let me read starting in verse 1. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, and Hittites. He was not prejudiced against any of these women. Free <laughs> charge. Um, they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your heart after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the, father, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonites, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. Drop down to verse 9. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem which I have chosen." Now, there's, there's several things I'd like to, to pull out of this passage, just kind of sidebars here. Uh, one is, this, this really flows against what you hear a lot about today, which is, um, it doesn't matter which, which religion you go with, just pick out one, because all roads lead to God. And, and I just want to tell you they don't, and we, this is a... This is a one of many proof texts that we can go to, that Ashtoreth and Molech were not the way to God and were displeasing to God. It goes back to the Ten Commandments where God says, I am a jealous God, I will, I will share myself with no one. You can't worship any other gods. And so let me just say that, because I hear a lot of people who think in the idea of being tolerant and inclusive, that if we somehow can build a big enough tent that we can bring everything and everybody up under it who has some kind of God sense, that that'll work. I just want to tell you, there, number one, there's a fallacy that says all religions are basically the same. All religions are not the same. In fact, what I talked about in my prayer about this whole idea of grace is fundamentally standalone part of Christianity that is different from every other faith that is merit-based. You work your way to heaven. You work your way to God. Christianity stands alone in saying you can't do that, which kind of you already knew. That's why you have this, this, this sense of, I don't know if I'll ever be good enough to get to heaven. That's why we need the grace of God. We have to have the grace of God. We stand on the grace of God. We have to be people of the grace of God. 
The second thing we see here has to do with marriage. 700 wives, 300 concubines. I, I don't think that even merits a comment. What was he thinking? Um, and it's not, but it's not, to see, if you read the passage, it's not just the, the inherent drama of multiple marriages, which we could all get our minds around, I think, pretty readily. Uh, imagine your spouse, sharing your spouse with three or four or a hundred other men or women. But, but what happened here and what, what, it was the whole thing of, of what is the basis of why we in, in ministry a lot of talk about, times we talk about being unequally yoked. The problem was spiritually they weren't on the same page. As bad as it was to have multiple wives, what was even worse is they led his heart away from the true God of Israel to these false gods. So that's why my counsel on this is, is and, and for all of you young people here that are, you, that are not married yet, don't even date someone that is not qualified, at least qualified to be a potential marriage mate. In other words, someone who's on the same page. Because, because this is the reason, you do not know and you cannot know who is going to prompt your emotional involvement with them, whether you call it love or lust or infatuation or whatever it is. You don't know. Why well, start down a road that might not be good? And so that's why that's the counsel that I always give folks. Enough about that. Verse 11 again. What did he say? I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. You know, I just, it's, what, a, what, a sad, what, a, what a sad verse. Here we are, we've, we've, we've had hundreds of years to grow this nation. Started with Abraham and, and just one after another. They're gradually building, they're growing over hundreds and hundreds of years. And now, I'm going to tear the kingdom away from you. I'm going to divide it up. And it's like it takes, it takes years and years to build a good name and overnight you can ruin your reputation, which is also a truth. So we're going to see them split up. And let me just tell you, give you a hint about reading the prophets. As you read through the prophets, you're going to hear these two words, Israel and Judah. Israel is the northern kingdom, the, the ten under the leadership of Jeroboam originally. The southern kingdom is led by Solomon's son, Rehoboam, the tribe that God gave to him. So, when you read through that. We're not going to do chapter 12, but it's interesting to get to chapter 12, and, and this is how this split happened. The, the people were oppressed by King Solomon. They worked hard, and so they came to his son Rehoboam when he became king, and he said, they said, uh, why don't you lighten the load for us? And so he went to talk to the elders, and the elders says, yeah, lighten the load, and they'll follow you. And he went to his friends, the young guys, and he says, should I do that? He said, no, buckle down on them. Just double the workload. And he listened to the young guys, and he went back. And he said, I'm going I'm to buck. And they said, we're out of here. And so there was a revolt, and they divided the kingdom. And uh, we should have a picture of that, the divided kingdom. Do we have that? Yeah, there you go. Jeroboam, Israel, the northern kingdom. Rehoboam, the southern kingdom. They divided up at this point in time. God is in the midst of scattering his own nation. 
it looks like we're going backwards, doesn't it? He, he describes that for us in two different sections of Scripture, 1 Kings 11 through 2 Kings 25. And then if you're reading through this Bible, uh, doing the Bible reading with us, you can see there's some repetition because 1 Chronicles 11 through 2 Chronicles 36 repeats the same stuff. So if you're reading it and you're thinking, man, I think I've already read this one time. Yeah, you did because it's in there twice. Why is it in there twice? Why is it in there twice? I don't know that I can say for sure. I mean, we conjecture that anything God tells you once is important. If he tells you twice, maybe God wants us to clearly see the things that disturb him. So the book, the nations divide, and as you read these chapters, they go back and forth, and they'll be, the, they'll be talking about the king of Israel, and then they'll be talking about the king of Judah, and you've got to pay attention, because sometimes you think, well, wait a minute, this guy said his father was so-and-so, and then he came, but he was, and so pay attention, it goes back and forth between Israel and Judah, the two nations. Now, I'm not going to go through all that, because I don't have time, obviously, but, but there, were, there were a few good kings, but there were a lot, a lot of bad kings during this time who turned from God. And things got so bad with the northern kingdom that this is what happened. 2 Kings chapter 17, if you follow my reading this morning. 2 Kings chapter 17, starting in verse 11. He's talking about the nation of Israel here, the northern kingdom. Verse 11, At every high place they burned incense as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did wicked things that provoked the Lord to anger. They worshipped idols, though the Lord had said, You shall not do this. That's the Ten Commandments. The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers. He didn't just give them the Ten Commandments, but he also sent prophet after prophet after prophet. Turn from your evil ways. Observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your fathers to obey and that I delivered to you through my servant, the prophets. But they would not listen and were as stiff-necked as their fathers who did not trust in the Lord their God. Drop down to verse 21. When he tore Israel away from the house of David, he made Jeroboam, son of Nebat, their king. Jeroboam enticed Israel away from following the Lord and caused them to commit great sin. The Israelites persisted in all the sins of Jeroboam, that's all these kings that followed him, and did not turn away from them until the Lord removed them from his presence as he had warned through all his servants, the prophets, so the people of Israel were taken from their homeland into exile in Assyria, and are, they are still there at the writing of this. So next we have a next drawing, and it looks like this. It's the uh, Assyrians coming in. So you can remember this. The northern kingdom were conquered. That was crisis A, okay? We're going to have a crisis B in a minute. But crisis A was the Assyrians. And in, in, in history, we have this recorded. In 722 B.C., this happened. Okay? Now, the southern kingdom lasted a little bit longer, but they went basically down the same path. A few good kings, a lot of bad kings, until crisis B, when God sent the Babylonians in 580, roughly 587 B.C., 
I've read some different things. It seems to be 588, 586, somewhere along in there, 587 B.C. He sent the Babylonian, (laughs) easy for me to say. He sent the Babylonians who came and crushed them and conquered them and took them away in captivity. So what's happened here, and this is even worse. Let, Let me read about this. We need to read these Strong words that God recorded for us in the Holy Scripture. Second Kings chapter 21. 2 Kings chapter 21, starting in verse 10. The Lord said through his servants, the prophets, Manasseh, king of Judah, the last king here, has committed these detestable sins. He has done more evil than the Amorites who preceded him and has led Judah into sin with his idols. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I am going to bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. I will stretch out over Jerusalem the measuring line used against Samaria and the plumb line used against the house of Ahab. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) I will wipe out Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. I will forsake the, rem- the remnant of my inheritance and hand them over to their enemies. They will be looted and plundered by all their foes because they have done evil in my eyes and have provoked me to anger from the day their forefathers came out of Egypt until this day. So Judah was hauled off into captivity by the Babylonians. Notice what God has said. I will wipe out Jerusalem as one wipes out a dish wiping it and turning it upside down. I I really doubt, I really doubt that any of us sitting here today can fully comprehend that action and what it meant to a Jew. I mean, Jerusalem was everything. The temple was there. That was the holy city. And that's why, <clears throat> that's why Jerusalem to this day is very important to Jewish people. It is, it is just the center of their world. And so God says, I'm taking Jerusalem away from you. I'm scattering you. Now, again, <clears throat> we have to think about this in, in, in and the, uh, the template that we have in the Old Testament where God says, Israel's my chosen people. Israel's going to be my channel of redemption. Israel is my way that nations will be blessed and that people will find God in that economy, in that time. The temple in Jerusalem was the one and only. The blood sacrifices were only acceptable at the altar in the temple in Jerusalem. God has has been at work. He's been building this nation, building this nation, and now they turn away from him. And God reached a point where he said, I can't stand anymore. I cannot stand it anymore. And he scattered them. He sent them away in captivity. And it was not... It was hard, and it was horrible. Second Chronicles, remember we have this repetition, the uh, parallel passage to this. Second Chronicles 36, let me read you a few verses. Second Chronicles 36, starting in verse 15. 
kind of a summary statement. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. Remember, he lived in the temple. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and spared neither young man nor young woman, old men or aged. God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. <clears throat> he carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. And they set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped the sword, and they became servants to him and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rest all the time of its desolation. It rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken to Jeremiah. God had pity time and time and time again. But it says the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, <laughs> both of them, they despised his prophets. They despised his words. They mocked them and they scoffed at them. And we're going to look at the ministry of the prophets a little bit later in the series. The point is this. God is long-suffering. God is long-suffering. God is long-suffering. But it says they came to a point and there was no remedy. It was too late. We have a New Testament parallel to this. Second Peter 3, starting in verse 8. <clears throat> And do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. But the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. And the elements will be destroyed and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare, since everything will be destroyed in this way. What kind of people ought you to be? <laughs> and he answers the question. You ought to live holy and godly lives. Back to the Old Testament. What, what do we do with this? You know, it's... It's, we've had this great, we have had this great run here. We had this great storyline, and everything seems to be, you know, the apex there. It's David and Solomon and wealth and prosperity and peace, and God is living among them. And then it's all blown up. And it seems so hopelessly dark and beyond redemption. <clears throat> but it's not the end of the story. And it's not, there are things that are yet to come. 
God is still God, and though we can't see it right now, in this, in this period of time, we can't see it. God is going to keep moving them forward. And so punishment is part of the plan, but there is still going to be progress in the plan of God, and God is going to redeem it. And we're going to see that. We're going to see that yet to come. But I don't want to end on a down note. I don't want to tell you there's, there's glimmers of encouragement even on these dark days. Um, I think back to Elijah, who was one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, and how when he was despondent and despairing of God, and he thought, oh, Lord, I'm the only one, which is what we do sometimes. Oh, Lord, poor me. <laughs> you know, I'm the only one that suffers like this, and I'm the only one who's still trying to get it right, you know. What did he say? He said this, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all those whose mouth have not kissed him. There are other people who were struggling and staying on the path, and Elijah was not alone. You see, as individuals, even in this time, people get to make a choice, and we see people in dark, dark times who are still trying to live godly lives. Lot living in Sodom and Gomorrah, and we get to the New Testament, and they describe him as godly Lot. Noah, who was a righteous man in another dark time. And we have stories, we have glimpses. We have glimpses of what a person can do when they stand for God. All through even this dark time of the, of the prophets and of the divided kingdom. There were some good kings during this time and some bad kings. And it was during these times, it was during these times that we read this verse, and maybe some of you have this as a memory verse, for the eyes of the Lord, Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. This verse, this verse was inspired and written right in the midst of this time. How many of you have watched The Lord of the Rings? How many of you have Okay, Lord of the Rings, maybe you read it. You know, there's that part where there's the, you know, really it's the evil eye that is searching and it's looking. You know, when they'd put on the ring and the eye would be like, eh, coming. That's, 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 that's all made up stuff, okay. You know, there's some symbolism there and there's some great bad versus evil, dark versus light, Satan versus God that you can, you can kind of interpret from that and you get that. Let me tell you, let me tell you about the other eye that searches the earth. This is the eyes of God. And it says the eyes of God range throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of every man and woman, boy and girl, whose heart is totally committed to him. And we have some glimmers of light. One is good king Hezekiah. He began to reign when he was 25 years old. Let me, let's read about him from 2 Kings. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. In contrast to Solomon, he kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. The Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him from watchtower to fortified city. He defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. So good King Hezekiah, good King Hezekiah, he did the opposite. His, and by the way, his father Ahaz was a bad king. 
Ahaz was a bad king. Hezekiah was a good king. At 25 years old, he stepped up. When he became king, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm going a different path. Listen, some of you need to hear that because some of you, maybe your family background was not the best. Maybe your parents didn't know God or didn't care about God or were hypocrites. You can be like Hezekiah. You can choose a new path. There's several powerful examples from his life. One's in 2 Kings 18.4 where it says, He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles. You see, all gods are not the same. He knew that. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it, which was wrong. It was called Nehushtan. Um, this, you remember, this was when there was a plague in the nation of Israel, and God said, told Moses, put a bronze serpent up on a, on a pole, and when you look at it, you'll be healed. Well, that was for that time and that period, but they kept it, and they, they made it into an idol. And remember what the Ten Commandments said about idols? Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. God is the only way. God is the only way. Now, there's great symbolism there. Jesus would later say, but when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. And when Jesus was lift up, lifted up on the cross, we who look to the cross are healed by the finished work, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. But this Nehushtan had become an idol, and they worshipped it instead of God. And God says, you can't worship anybody else besides me. And we do that, and we can do that still today. We can take things that were good for a purpose and for a time, and we can make them into something else. And something that is good, we can make into an idol. And we can make our work into an idol. And we can make our families into an idol. We can make our hobbies into an idol. And we can make money into an idol. And prestige and popularity and all those things. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. God and fill in the blank. He will share you with no one. Which reminds me of another good king named Asa. He didn't do everything right, but it says this in 1 Kings 15, 14. Although he did not remove the high places, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. I don't know about you, I find a lot of encouragement in that verse. I mean, do you, I, mean I want to be full-hearted and whole-hearted for God, and I think you do. And I know I don't always get it right. And it says King Asa didn't always get it right. He didn't, he didn't do everything he should have done. He missed out on it. But his heart was wholly committed to God. It wasn't because he was rebelling to God. Hezekiah, one more thing from Hezekiah. I want to read his prayer when the Assyrian army came up against him. 2 Kings chapter 19. 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 15 through 19. It'll be on the screen. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim. That would have been on the, um, in the Ark of the Covenant that the glory of God dwelt there. 
You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give your Lord and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the word Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fires and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but were wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. Now, notice about this prayer. He doesn't say, oh, Lord, save me. Save me. Deliver me. No, 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 no. He says, I want through what you do, through this great deliverance, I want people to know that you, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the true and living God is the one true and living God. There is no other. And God answered his prayer, and it says, The angel of the Lord went out, and in one night, one angel slew 185,000 Assyrians in their camp. And the name of the Lord was lifted high. And he got all the honor and the glory and the praise. So, there's a word about prayer there. Our prayer always has to be so that God would be seen, God would be pleased, God would be honored. One last thought, and it's a word for us. Even in the darkest times, the hope of God for all who call on Him with a whole heart is the greatest reality of all and will defeat all enemies. I believe that. It's about being wholehearted. So today, we've learned a little bit about marrying well. <laughs> we've, we've learned a little bit today about God can reach a limit, and you cannot, you cannot reject the admonitions of the Lord and expect to get away with it. That God honors all the people who are wholehearted toward Him, like King Asa, and that even in a dark time and in dark circumstances, God can show up in your life and my life. And He can be honored. And He can be pleased. And He can use us. Maybe the word today for you is about an idol. And maybe there's something in your life that you're putting before God. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your favorite hobby. He will share you with no one. He will share you with no one. Let's pray together. <clears throat> if, if God has brought something to your mind that has nudged him out of the throne of your life, and God has put his finger on your conscience this morning, would you make that right? Would you repent of that and put him back in that place of ownership 
of lordship, of being your one and only first love of your life? Father, we're, uh, we're people just like people in the Old Testament. We have temptations. We have rivals for your love and devotion in our hearts. We choose you. We choose you. We're banking on you. We're depending on you. We're resting in you. May we live that out every day of the choices that we make. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, two things as we close this morning. The first thing is that the Gideons will be at the doors with open Bibles if you'd like to make a contribution to that. Also, we have two new members that I'd like to introduce. Debbie Meggs. Debbie, if you'd stand. She's in the back there of that section. And Ariel Forsyth. And she's in the back over there. So the back, back row Baptists are joining. And... Uh, I will invite them to come and to stand with me on the way out, and you can welcome them into our fellowship. Let's stand together. Father, we ask your blessings upon Ariel and Debbie as they seek to follow you. May we be an encouragement to them uh, in their spiritual journey. In Jesus' name, amen.